0: Welcome into the Hazard Ground Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us each and every week before we get started with this week's episode, which is a return to Cop Keating and the Battle of Kandesh in Afghanistan. An amazing story. Many of you have asked us to continue to tell the story, so we will oblige. Before we get to that, just a couple of reminders. Continue the Apple reviews, guys. We are growing. It's getting better, but we need more help. We want to crack the top 100 Apple Podcasts, and the only way we can do that is to get more ratings and more reviews so please if you're listening to this podcast via apple podcast you can go right to the page where our podcast is give us a five-star rating write a short review it doesn't have to be long and send it in. If you're not listening to us on Apple Podcasts, just Google the Apple Podcast for us. Leave us a rating and a review as well. That certainly will help us out and we can crack the top 100. Don't forget to follow us on all the social media sites Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hazard Ground, at Hazard Ground Podcast. Subscribe to the YouTube channel because, folks, the video portion of our podcast is coming and it is coming to our YouTube channel as well as our website, hazardground.com. Speaking of our website, com, that's where you go for our Amazon promotion. Go to HazardGround.com, click on the Amazon button at the bottom of the homepage or under the Sponsors tab. You can do all your normal Amazon shopping, and we'll get a percentage of what you guys spend, and then we donate that percentage back to some of the great charities. And organizations you've heard featured here on the Hazard Ground also works from your smartphone, folks. So you can go to hazardground.com and when you click on the Amazon button, it'll take you to the Amazon app. So all of your credit card information is saved and everything. It's just the easiest way to help support veterans and veterans organizations uh, right from your phone, right from your your iPad, and right from your couch without having to do anything. So continue to use hazardground.com before you do all of your Amazon shopping. And finally, I can't say it enough. Thank you so, so much for being part of this Hazard Ground community. We couldn't have done this without you, and we certainly appreciate all the support, and you guys are the reason that we keep doing this each and every week. Now that all that's out of the way, let's get on to this week's episode. Joining us this week on the Hazard Ground is another member of the Battle of Kamdesh at Cop Keating. He served four and a half total years in the Army and left the Army as a specialist. His lone deployment to Afghanistan was at Cop Keating in 2009. He is Kyle Knight joining us on the Hazard Ground podcast. Kyle, welcome, in, and thank you for joining me. Ain't no problem. All right, uh Cop Keating one of the more interesting stories that we've told here on the Hazard ground and full background to the audience. Uh, you actually commented on our YouTube page on some of the other folks that we've had on from Cop Keating and wanted to quote give the real story. So, uh, which is always interesting because there there are many different points of view to any given battle. Um and and we've told Black Hawk Down from dozens of different angles and so the, uh, the, the lower enlisted angle versus the officer angle is always interesting because you guys see things through a completely different lens. So we'll get to the battle of cam dash coming up, but start back at the beginning. How and why'd you get in the army?
1: Um, well, I just, uh, got my associate's degree in, uh, drafting essentially. And, uh, I was going into, uh, was trying to get into, uh, like video game graphics and stuff like that. Really? And, uh, I realized after about a year of the school I was going to, it was kind of a scam and their uh, degrees weren't worth anything. And I had a little bit of student debt and I was bored. You were bored? Yeah. So I joined the army. (laughs) And what year was this? 2007.
0: Okay. So both wars had kicked off and you, you're realizing kind of what your future holds at this point, right?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. What'd your family say? Um, um, my dad, was, uh, he was a little stoic about it. He really didn't uh, say anything. My mom was scared, of course. Right. But my dad was raised by a uh, World War II veteran. So really? So he knew what I was getting into as well, yeah. My uh, grandfather was 82nd Airborne.
0: Oh, wow. Um, did you have a preference of what you wanted to do in the military? Did you not even know? You just kind of walked to the recruiter's office and said, Hi, I'm here?
1: Um, well, there was all, they were all in the same strip mall, so I hit up the uh, Air Force, the Marines, and the Army. And I uh, just settled on the army. I think the the marine guy was uh, a smarmy prick, so he kind of turned me off. Uh, the air force guy was totally lame, so I just I went army.
0: <laughs> Be surprised how many stories are like that. Or you know, I wanted to go in and go to the navy, and the army guy was the only guy who was there, so that's where I ended up, kind of deal. Um, so when you yeah. signed up, you signed up for what kind of contract?
1: What kind? Um, four. It's just a regular four year contract. Okay. Oh, I was a uh, 13 Fox. Okay. Fort so, observer.
0: Right, artillery guy. All right. So uh, you head off to basic training. Uh, was it all you thought it was going to be and more?
1: Um, yeah, pretty much. I, was, I went in with a bunch of guys who were doing that, uh, go to basic training and then finished your last year of high school. So I was in with like a bunch of 16-year-olds. And I was 22, and I was the old man. It was kind of surreal. What was so surreal about it? Oh, just being 22 and being considered old. Right.
0: <laughs> did you? Could you notice a a difference in between the way they sort of handled the whole thing versus the way
1: you did? Um,
0: I don't know. Not really.
1: We were all in the in the same shit, you know. Right. There was a, there was quite a bit of a, a immaturity thing that I uh, wasn't getting involved with. Like the first day of basic, when we actually got into our barracks, the bunch of the kids got together, and they were throwing a little rave. I'm like, you guys are just asking for trouble, you know, because they, they record you. They got microphones in the ceiling and stuff. They have microphones in the ceilings? Oh, yeah. The guys, the, uh, the drill instructors are always listening to you. Really? Yeah.
0: I didn't know that. That's the first I've heard how of they, that.
1: Yeah. How do, they, how do they always know when people are screwing around? Somebody's always listening to you.
0: Wow. That makes me think twice now. Uh, so, you finished basic and you're where, going to where next?
1: Um, I had an airborne contract, so I went to Fort Benning and I got 41 clubbed by a bunch of Marines. So, I went to holdover for a few months and then went to Fort Carson, Colorado. Gotcha.
0: All right. And by the time you get to Fort Carson, uh, what month and year is it?
1: Uh, that was December. Um, yeah, December 2007. All right. So, the end of that year. So, when you
0: get to Fort Carson, obviously you're going to four i d uh you get to your unit it was, uh, it
1: was two it was two two when I got there
0: oh really, okay,
1: all right yep. um
0: what you when you get to your unit, what's it like initially for you? i mean are you regretting your decision to join at any point in time early on? Did you think you made a mistake or you felt like you made the right choice?
1: uh I really had no opinion at that point. Uh, the unit was just coming back from Iraq, so I wasn't really doing much of anything. Mm-hmm. Just waiting for, you know, flights to come in and we'd help uh, get their bags and all their gear squared away. Did you so have, was, you know, did, hmm? go ahead. Did
0: you have like any questions for the guys when they were getting back? What was it like? Or were you were you curious? Or are you just kind of one of those folks who just kind of does what they're told and, and waits for what's next?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't pry into that. I don't want to be that guy. So what was combat like? Did you shoot a guy? <laughs> no, I didn't do any of that. Uh, well, again, you were a little bit older
0: at that time. Uh, 18, 19-year-olds coming out of basic might, uh, might ask those questions. But still, uh, did you find it hard to sort of get assimilated into the unit?
1: Not really. I'm pretty easy going.
0: So what were your first couple of months there like for you?
1: Uh, it was cold in Colorado. We'd um, just stand on the flight line grabbing bags, Got to miss that Christmas, first of three in a row that I got to miss. Um, and just, just basic, uh, just bitch work, waiting for the unit to come down. We, I was actually in brigade headquarters at the time. And then once the units all got back, I got kicked down to 361 Cab. Gotcha.
0: When you get to 361 Cab, does things settle in for you?
1: Yeah. The um, 361 Cab had a pretty good fist platoon. Uh, Got along with a lot of the guys there.
0: Now, are these all the guys that eventually you end up deploying with?
1: Uh, Yes. One of them coming back was Armando Avalos, who ended up being my my FO on the uh, Afghanistan deployment.
0: So you have basically almost, what, a, a, a whole calendar year before you leave, right? All of 2008, essentially?
1: Yes. All right.
0: And so... Take, take, almost a year and a half. Take take me through your first year, so to speak. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of ground to cover, but it's fairly routine.
1: Yeah they um, they discovered that I was good with computers because I had a uh, bright red custom gaming PC in my barracks room. So I was they were getting me ready to do uh, talk work. I was going to be the AFATADs operator and the uh, LCMR operator for the uh, headquarters at squadron.
0: When do you first hear the idea of Afghanistan? Like, when does that first start coming up for you guys?
1: Um, actually, before they kicked us down to 361 cab, they, they, sent, they basically got us in this room and told everybody what units they're going to and where that unit is going to deploy. So I knew I was going to Afghanistan from uh, day one at 361.
0: Feelings on that? Were you nervous, scared, curious?
1: Um, at that time, IEDs were a big thing, so I, I felt like I lucked out. House. As odd as that sounds, I didn't want to get those drive around and waiting to get blown up. That didn't sound like a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, that was more of an Iraq thing, I think, for the for the most part at that point in time, at least. Yeah. Um, but did, when you tell your family you're heading to Afghanistan, what's their reaction?
1: Uh, I can't remember. I don't think they had any particular reaction to that.
0: All right, let's get to to train up. Um, and and I'm always curious on the the lower enlisted point of view because officers see it differently um and and as you're starting to go through this um the the train up for it do you start to hear what the environment is like do you start to have those conversations do you even know about it and and is do you feel like the training is geared towards what you're walking into
1: oh well I was being trained to work in the office um (laughs) yeah uh I was just pretty much it was looking like my deployment was going to be sitting in the sitting in the dock with Sergeant Kalich, getting him coffee and taking care of things when he was gone and just, uh, you know, keeping all the computers and everything talking.
0: So when does that point of view start to change when you actually get there?
1: Well, um, three weeks before we deployed, they, uh, they sent me down to the line unit unexpectedly. Just one day they're like, oh, hey, you're going down to Black Knight Troop. Uh, just under a month before we deployed. And excited? I didn't, I hadn't done any training with those guys at all.
0: Were you excited about it?
1: No, I got hammered because I, I knew I was going to die. Really? Yeah. I actually showed up late my first day at uh, Black Knight because, uh, yeah, I, I uh, slept through my alarm.
0: Why did you think you were going to die?
1: Because uh, it was Black Knight troop. They didn't really have a stellar reputation. How so? Uh, it just seemed like a lot of uh, fuck-ups went to Black Knight Troop.
0: Did you think you were being punished by in, in any size, way, shape, or form?
1: No, I when I asked them, they were they literally because I was the only one who did not have a PT profile in headquarters. And Sergeant Major said, well, he's, you know, we need able bodies on the line, so send in him. I, I guess I'm more
0: curious of, uh, you know, you go out and you get drunk and you get wasted. Um <laughs>
1: So I just, I just got drunk in the, uh, in my barracks room. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, not to go yeah. out, but you,
0: um, so <laughs> you wake up the next morning. Uh, you said you were late for formation. Uh, does it, does it set in more? I mean, I'm just kind of curious your thoughts the morning after.
1: Uh, I mean, not really. I just, I was just uh, a little depressed cause, uh, what I was uh, trained to do wasn't going to be what I was. I was actually going to have to do my actual job that I trained in AIT for.
0: Did you share those thoughts with anybody, family, friends, otherwise, that you thought you were going to die?
1: Uh, I think I I, think I might have told my dad, like, I'm, I'm getting sent down the line. Yeah, I think I did. Like, I'm actually going to go to a, a combat zone rather than just on the big fob.
0: Did he express any sort of different feelings or concerns?
1: Oh, you know, be careful and stuff.
0: <laughs> Good words of advice, Dad, right? Um yeah. okay, so three weeks out, you moved down to this line unit. Um was it tough not only because you were doing a different job than what you were trained to do, or was it more tough just because you didn't know any of the
1: guys? Um It actually wasn't that bad once I actually got in there and got to know a few people. I knew I had known a few people Prior to that, and the first sergeant actually gave me the option to pick which um, FO I wanted to work with. And since I had uh, worked with Avalos before, I went ahead and picked him, and that's how I got into uh, Red Platoon. Gotcha. Okay.
0: So three weeks go by, you get on a plane, and you're heading overseas. Um, Do you know what your mission is before you get there? Do you know where you're
1: going? yes we um they told us about cop Keating and i i had I looked it up online. I could find a couple pictures of it. They basically told us see you know don't worry about it it's a pretty nice safe spot
0: Well, that was a lie yeah <laughs> when you looked at the pictures, did you have any thoughts or anything did you have any you, did, did the pictures arouse any concerns
1: The pictures were all from above pointing down, so it just looked like a nice it looked like a nice little base next to a a pristine river. Right. It doesn't really give you the uh, full scope of what the surrounding terrain looks like.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and we talk about different vantage points, because I, I remember talking to Andrew Bunderman and, and Stony Portis, and those were, you know, some of the leadership. You can't, I mean, tactically, you can't look at that base and go, this is a disgustingly bad decision. So, I, I mean, when you get on ground and you look around and you realize you're surrounded by mountains on all four sides. Are you thinking, what the hell did they just do to us?
1: No, I didn't, uh, I didn't really, uh, I, I remained, uh, you know, oblivious to those kind of things just for my own sanity. Just took it day by day.
0: All right. So when you get on ground, um, and you, you're starting to do the, uh, you know, for the civilians listening, the, the, the rip, the replacements in place, uh, and, and, going through this whole process, do you feel like you're in a spot where even though, again, you weren't doing what you were trained to do, like you're comfortable?
1: Yeah. I, I had confidence in uh, our NCOs. And actually I had a really good time at Conheating. I liked it there.
0: Really? Yeah. M- minus the whole, you know, battle itself.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was pissed that they blew our base up. Cause I, I would have, I'd have stayed there for the whole tour. If I had the choice.
0: Interesting. All right, we'll, we'll get to that. So, when do you land in Afghanistan at Kabul? Keating, like month?
1: Oh, um, so we flew out in May. So it'd been late May, two thousand nine, thereabouts. And it took several weeks to actually get out there.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So when you get down there, I mean, it's summertime, um, and you got what three or four months before the Battle of Kamdesh actually happens. What's life like every day out there for you, for the most part?
1: Um. Well, you'd have. Week on, week off, or, you know, do you do a week of guard? And then you would do a week of patrols. And the guard was just a three-hour shift. And uh, I used, I usually went to the uh, ECP, mm-hmm. the you know, the front gate or uh, the stand 2 truck.
0: And so you're comfortable at this point? You know, it's just fairly routine? What's the, the amount of enemy contact you're seeing on a
1: routine basis over the summer? Uh, it's several times a week you'd be, you know, you'd be out smoking a cigarette or, you know, walking around and some, some guy would jump up with an AK or, or a PKM or something, you know, squirt off a few launch a rocket and run away.
0: Do you ever get a sense in the buildup that you guys are in a compromised position at any point?
1: Oh, I mean, they could sneak right up to the wire within a hundred yards of you and shoot at you with it before you'd even knew they were there. So you, you know, you're a little paranoid, but if, you know, you can't let that gift to, go to your head. You got that?
0: No, but I mean, for somebody who you know a couple of months ago was saying, "I'm going to die here," uh, you know, blocking that out has got to be incredibly difficult. Realizing that you know you're you're imminently close on a routine basis to uh, you know being closely attacked or even overrun to a certain extent.
1: After about a week of that, you you stop giving a shit.
0: Really. Yeah, like there was never—you never had a conversation with any of your NCOs going, "Hey, Sarge, we're, we're in a bad spot. Like, what are we gonna do if something happens?" I mean, you don't even have those sort of conversations with anybody.
1: Um, the NCOs kind of had those conversations among themselves. You don't—that's not something you really bring up, as far you know where I'm at, because I'm—you know—not only am I just a a Joe, but I'm also an attachment. So really, my opinion doesn't matter. So I just kept to myself.
0: So you don't think you, you like if you would have brought up any input, it would have ever been something that they valued.
1: No, what cap scouts going to take tactical advice from a fister?
0: Okay, yeah, I mean that's fair. I, I just yeah, I don't think that way. If somebody says something of value, I listen because it causes me to think that of something maybe that I hadn't thought of. But um, as as the months go on, leading into the fall, uh, is the in your opinion does the sort of enemy amount of contact pick up?
1: Uh, Not really. There was, I guess it picked up during election time, but uh, me and Jones and Mace got sent home on the first round of leave. So I was only there at the base for two months and then they sent us home on leave. Wow.
0: Did you, I mean, I know you didn't get much of a choice, but did you feel like it was too soon for you?
1: Yeah. All that, of course I, it was, you know, widely considered to be the shittiest possible time to take leave. So that's why I got picked for it. Well, I mean, you got, you're only there for a couple of months. Then you get sent on leave and then you got the whole, you know, eight or nine months. The back end. (laughs) Yeah. So the, um, when they, they had to get everybody gathered around, like, what days do you want? And I just said, you know, whatever, because I'm not even going to bother making a uh, request. And of course, all the uh, lowest ranking guys got sent out first.
0: Now, some of the other guys I've talked to did mention that you know, do you realize that they were in a compromised position and that like the enemy was starting to tip their hand that that a bigger attack was coming? Were you able to sense any of that?
1: Um, I mean, not really. They we would get intel that they were planning a big attack. They'd tell us that like you know every other day, and you just you get numb to it and you know crying wolf all the time.
0: But again, I I have to, I go back to. You felt like going into this thing, you were going to die here, and none of this seems to nerve you after hearing it.
1: No, I mean, once once you're in that situation, you, you know, you got to make the most of it.
0: Okay. All right, well, we, we, we turn the, the calendar to October. Um, A couple of days before October 3rd, does everything seem normal to you? Mm-hmm. The morning... No. The, the morning of October third, as you wake up that morning, let, let's kind of go through the whole day. Um, well, let me back up and just go the night before. Uh, what do you, do you have guard duty the next morning or anything, or what?
1: Uh, I had guard duty that morning. Actually, I was the shift before when the battle kicked off.
0: Oh. Okay. Which
1: position? Uh, ECP. Okay.
0: So you're at the the, uh, f- the front gate that eventually ends up ge- being being run through, correct?
1: Yes. Um. And a funny story, the night before, I uh, actually watched the film Zulu with Sergeant Gallegos. So I'll never watch that movie again. Wow.
0: So when you get off of Guard Duty, what time?
1: Um, I want to say like 4. Okay. 4 a.m., something like
0: that. And you go back to your bunk, I assume, your bed, and just kind of crash?
1: Yeah, I was playing uh, Civilization Four on my laptop. Hmm. Okay.
0: At 6 a.m., the first shots start to get fired. So you have been, you know, off duty for two hours right now. Where are you and what do you remember? What do you hear?
1: Uh, I was in my bunk. Uh, Incoming came in. It was a little heavier than we were used to. And then uh, it it didn't. normally it would, you know, take a few rockets and it would let off. But they just, uh, the rockets were continuous for like a minute as I'm getting my stuff on. Like you could tell. Immediately that it was something else. And then uh, Kirk came in to my uh, little hooch there. And he told me to grab the rocket launcher, which was not typical. And that, that's that cemented it.
0: You grabbed the rocket launcher. What's your first thought?
1: Um, I don't know. Well, I really wasn't thinking. Just, uh, you know, we could just go to your assigned uh, battle position.
0: And what position was that for you?
1: Um, I was going to the ECP. Normally, I would normally I would grab a radio as well for calls for fire, but there was none in the radio rack, so I just grabbed the rocket launcher and went. All right.
0: And when you get outside and you start to see the scope of this thing happening, um, you know what's going through your head? Like, what do you realize when you start to see it?
1: Uh, I just focused on the the path I had to run. I didn't really look around. But you you could tell from the volume of fire coming in, like those, every time you stepped out of cover, you were going to get a few near misses and they were, yeah, they were pretty close, closer than usual. And you could tell they were shooting at you from all different directions, which was also unusual.
0: What are some of the other guys around you saying at this point in time, as things get kicked off?
1: Um, well, we go into the, we go into the ECP, the Shura building, which is the ECP tower is built into the roof. And, uh, there was an A and A guy hiding in the stairwell going up to the ECP turret, which was unusual. And uh, Kirk ran up to him. He's like, he's like, get out of there, you fucking pussy! He grabs him by the collar and you know pulls him out of there. And so I go and look up into the ECP tower where Davidson should have been. And I'm like, why isn't anybody in the tower? So I start climbing up. And the minute I poke my head up there, just like eight or nine guys were just shooting at you, like the, you know. Uh, fragments of bullets were bouncing around in there. There was like hot pieces of copper raining down. I'm like, well, you know, fuck that. So I turned around and looked, and down at the bottom of the stairwell was this big streak of blood and some giant boots because uh, that's when Kirk got took out
0: are, are you able to sort of process any of this at this point in time? I mean, I mean, or are you just kind of fight or flight sort of response here?
1: Um. Well, I knew he, uh, I knew we were going to need a stretcher after looking at him uh so i ran back to the aid station i didn't find one the first time i ran back a couple times looking for one
0: did did you end up finding
1: it or no um yeah it did eventually got it back there and uh doc cordova was already there putting doing first aid so we got him loaded on started carrying him back and there was this bobcat in the way there was a there was a little pathway, a little snaking pathway you had to go through to get to the main fob or into the cop. And uh, the guy, McFarland, who was uh, driving the Bobcat, had abandoned the vehicle at an angle. So it was a really narrow gap you had to go through. So as we're carrying Kirk back, I had to climb over the tires. And I got wedged between the two of them. The, the guys kept running and pulled the stretcher out of my hand. And so it started to flop over, and Kirk started to roll off with Stan. I don't know how he did it. But he he whipped around and grabbed the other one and just carried on. And uh, so I got to see Kirk get, you know, pulled away. And uh, so I just turned around and went back to the ECP.
0: And what would you do when you got there?
1: Um, We were, you know, standing around trying to see guys through the windows and stuff because I wasn't going to go back up in that turret. And uh, Sergeant Days was there for some reason. And uh, Rocket came through the roof and knocked him on his ass. So we checked him for you know see if he's wounded, picked him up, and then another rocket came through and knocked him on his ass. So we, uh, we decided to fall back to the uh, main comp area.
0: So you're about what 30, 45 minutes into the fight at this point, right?
1: That was like yeah thirty minutes. Yeah, it's about thirty. I mean, does it feel
0: like hours at this point?
1: No, no sense of time is you know it, it's your your sense of time in a situation like that is not linear it felt yeah it certainly felt like a lot longer
0: at any point do you realize that your your earliest feelings about being in this spot are dangerously close to coming true
1: i mean yeah oh yeah i was scared shitless
0: i mean do do you for somebody who keeps telling me they blocked everything out i mean was did that overcome like did you get overcome no, it's, it's by that? No, it's not
1: that. It's not that I was just blocking things out. It's just um, getting shot at. Cop heating was just normal. I mean, you know, you you could sit there and thinking about what if they overrun us. So you could think about that all day and just uh, you know work yourself into a, a fit. All right. So I just you know I just decided not I just decided not to give a shit.
0: All right. So you're back at the ECP. Um, volume of fire is still. Heavier than you've ever
1: seen to this point. What, oh yeah.
0: What's going on next for you?
1: Um. Well, I got back to the, got back to the, uh, got back to my barracks, and uh, washed Kirk's brains off my arms and stuff. And I. That's when Hart went out to do the volun- volunteer to go out and recover or try to move that truck to uh, support where uh, Larson was. Mm-hmm. Things was too. And uh, I could hear I could hear Gallegos' – you know, his, some of his last radio transmissions were talking about taking effective fire and stuff. And so I'm like, well, I really don't have a job without a radio. So I just looked for the biggest gun I could and pointed it at the back door of the barracks waiting for him to come in. And then what happened? Um Eventually I I pushed out into the back side of the barracks. There was a trench there and set the machine gun up there. Okay. And uh, that's when that's when Romache did his uh his push out, his counterattack.
0: Did I mean did, at this point do you realize that there's enemy inside the wire?
1: Oh yeah. Sergeant Days. Um it's in the movie in the movie where the guy says Charlie in the wire. The actual person who said that was his old old black dude, this E six. He was just a, a strange man, and uh, that's why he was saying Charlie in the Wire because he was, uh, you know, from that kind of generation.
0: <laughs> Charlie meaning, like, you know, the Viet Cong? The, yeah, Viet Cong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the movie you're referring to, obviously, The Outpost. Uh, we talked to Rod Lurie, the director, in an earlier episode. But um, is that is there any more level of fear than where you're already at once you realize they're inside the wire?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just about – there's really – I can't think of much – you know, a scarier situation to be in.
0: When, uh, Sergeant romache starts his plan to, uh, you know, assault back. Are you mm-hmm. with him
1: on this? No, I was already outside. Okay. Um, I had moved out to the, I had moved out to the smoking area out in the back and, uh, they threw the smoke grenade right in front of me to cover their movement. That's, that scared the hell out of me because it, you know, makes that popping noise. Mm-hmm. Like, what is going on? Because I did not know that they were pushing out until they all moved. And it would look like, you know, the old Rainbow Six commercial they're all doing their little twirls and running down there all cool and stuff. It was pretty badass. That's uh, That was a good morale booster.
0: Do you start to feel like, um, even though there's enemy inside the wire, that you guys are starting to take this thing back? Or do you still feel like it's inevitable, the ending of this thing?
1: Oh no! That's, um you know once once they pushed out. If they're if they're doing maneuvers like that, you if uh, you have a pretty good chance that you know something good might happen.
0: So you stay in your position. Uh, are, are you able to engage the enemy
1: clearly? Um, I started. Well, they assigned me to cover down by the Chow Hall and the uh, north side where the uh, Ana. Position was because uh, the the a and a part of the base had already become overrun, so I was keeping i was guarding the northern sector, keeping anybody anybody infiltrating the cop from getting toward the headquarters in the barracks
0: okay but you're for and for those who know the battle scene well, you're on the opposite end of El raz too right like that, that's on the other side of the base yeah okay
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, so and, and the only only that... that
1: happens in that movie is all on the south side, so I was on the other side. Right. Of, you know, pretty much everything.
0: Well, and the only reason I ask that is because are you aware of everything else that's going on? Or are you just not able to process it because you're just focused on your task?
1: I mean, I could hear I could hear the counterattack out there fucking shit up. But from where I was sitting, I couldn't see what was going on.
0: Who's around you giving you orders at this point?
1: Nobody. <laughs> I was out there. I was out there by myself. <laughs>
0: Is that, is that a worse feeling that there's nobody else around you?
1: Uh, I mean, I don't know. At at that point I was starting to have a good time because normally I don't get to use the machine gun. So I had a, I got a two forty Bravo and, uh, I couldn't, I was down in the trench and I couldn't angle it up high enough to shoot up into the hills. (laughs) And I started, uh, I started seeing muzzle flashes and stuff coming from like above the mosque, which is over on my right. So I just stood up and uh, fired it from the shoulder. Right.
0: Uh, so you mentioned that you, you know that the attack is going back and you're starting to hear it. Um, do you ever feel like it's sort of, for lack of a better term, safe to move from your position?
1: Well, I really didn't have anywhere else to go. I mean, I wasn't just going to go wandering off alone.
0: Yeah, well, that's kind of, I mean, there, there's there's two schools of thought to that, right? It's like... I'm in a spot, uh, I, I'm being as effective as I can be, um, I don't want to wander off alone because I'm wandering off alone, but in the same respect, does anybody know that I'm here kind of deal?
1: Um, Avalos and Stanley knew I was there, Okay. and uh, I had there were camo nets that were hung between the buildings, so from where I was, I could shoot at people, and they really couldn't see me. It was a pretty decent spot.
0: So uh, how long do you think you're there for?
1: maybe an hour okay because if you if you go back to the movie and you hear where um romashay is uh, you know his whole plan was to have uh sergeant first class hill support him with a machine gun for his movement um that was my machine gun they actually came out there and told me to give my 240 to uh sergeant hill who is at the aid station so i got out of the trench i sprinted over there and uh, he uh, he wouldn't stop crying long enough to take the gun from me. I literally had to grab his hands, put them on the weapon and shove it into his chest and then walk away. Really? I was Looking for another gun. Yeah. Describe the crying. Uh, he was sobbing into his hands like a baby,
0: like, oh, my God, we're going to die. Kind of sobbing.
1: I mean, I guess I think it, I think uh, Skuza dying hit him pretty hard, but. You know, as you know, he didn't actually, uh, go to his support position at all. He didn't even, he took my gun and didn't do anything with it.
0: Okay. So uh, you mentioned, you just mentioned Scusa. Um, Thompson gets killed at the outset. Scusa essentially gets killed at the outset and Kirk gets shot and then, um, you know, uh, Eventually gets pronounced dead at the aid station.
1: Yeah, well, it, you, it blew the back of his head off. I, right. I knew he wasn't going to survive.
0: Right. I mean, you know. I was, um, so are you aware of anybody else who is hit at this point? Are you aware of anybody else who is hurt? Um, are you hurt at all?
1: No, I had not taken anything yet. Um, all I knew at that point was that uh, Kirk was probably dead and... Gallegos and Larson, who were, at the time, I, the only people I knew who were in that truck were pinned down. That's all I knew.
0: Right. Um, and, and the pin down in the truck compared to your location was where?
1: Uh, it would be kind of behind me and to my right, about 150 yards. Right. Okay. And so. Uh, there were several buildings in uh, Haskell area in the way as well. They were
0: in truck one, correct? l uh, l two. Okay. They're at L-Rice two. All right.
1: Pulpus uh, and- was in Elrize One, which was off to my left, behind the uh, behind the talk.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and and again, for those who are trying to orient themselves, you can go online and look at a map of of Cop Keating and uh, understand all these positions, um, it, it, because it just kind of helps you understand what what Kyle is is referencing here. Yeah.
1: If you're looking at the map, I was sitting behind the red platoon barracks, right next to the mosque.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I, I could see where you are. I'm just looking at the map as we're talking through this. Um, so those guys are pinned down. I mean, and you have no radio, right?
1: That's right. Um, normally, normally I would be on the fire's net talking to the mortar platoon. I did know that the mortars were suppressed. So even if I did have a radio, there's not much I could have done with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I begin to wonder at this point, um, because you have O.P. Fritchie, which is at the top of the mountain and is supposed to be your sort of cover. Uh, for stuff like this. Are you beginning to wonder why you're not getting any backup?
1: Um, um, not really. I assume they were in contact as well. The real big question was uh, where the hell were all the aircraft?
0: To your recollection, who was supposed to be handling that?
1: Um, normally it would be either Avalos or the LT talking to the birds or whoever was in the talk. The, it, the issue was um, time of flight for the birds. They had to stop in Bostic to refuel. Right. So we had we had fast movers. We had a couple uh, F-15E Strike Eagles there in about 40 minutes, but the helicopters were over an hour before they got there.
0: Now, at this point, um, Romache finishes his move and pushes everybody back. Uh, and for the most part, uh, at this point, the, the wire is resecured, right? The base is resecured from enemy breaches. Um, but do you start to get a feeling like the. There's a lull in the fire that you guys are taking. Is it slowing down or do you still get a sense that, you know, God, they they, they just keep coming at us?
1: Um, The volume volume fire kind of petered out after around around noon, noon noonish. They uh, they kind of blew their load early with a lot of their rockets. So it started to go into like, you know, a gunfight at that point.
0: Do you do you get any more inventory on where everybody else is and, and the status of people?
1: Um, not really. I didn't, uh, I did eventually see Larson come back when, uh, they finally did come back from that truck, but that was in the early afternoon. That was a while.
0: What, what also was going on around you? Um, you know, you talk about post noon, what else is going on around you? I mean, at what point in time do you remember, uh, you guys getting air support finally?
1: It was about an hour and a half, two hours for a uh, rotary to show up. I mean the, the the amount of fire going on was so loud that you really couldn't hear jets flying over, if you know what I mean. Right. Do you
0: still feel so, like you I mean is there is there a point where you guys start to feel like you've got this under control?
1: Oh around uh after 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 giving Hill the machine gun and coming back, I eventually got a Mark forty eight and that's it at that point I just settled into a rhythm and I was just you know just going about my going about my day
0: were you were, were you ever low on ammo or you seemed to be good for the whole time
1: uh, avalos kept bringing me ammo i fired like 8 or 9000 rounds of uh 762 by 51 really yeah
0: that's how did your barrel not melt at that point
1: um well i gave that 240 away and then i got the uh, mark 48 and i was just, i was using you know controlled bursts okay but i was firing bursts continuously cuz I could hear Copas firing his Mark 19 into the into the uh, diving board. So every time he stopped shooting, I assumed he was reloading because I, I couldn't see him. So I would just spray his sector of fire, just keep him off him.
0: Do you have an idea of how much enemy you encountered?
1: No, I, I, did, not, I did not know a number until, the, like, the debrief.
0: No, I just mean, like, you personally, like, you know... Uh, How many many times you had to engage the enemy, or or you're not even counting? You're just taking out targets as they
1: come. I was just engaging. I was just shooting at uh, muzzle flashes. I was shooting known uh, places that we knew they came from their little favorite spots and stuff. And I was just firing suppression along the whole uh, northeast or uh, northwestern section.
0: When do you finally come out of your position,
1: like for good? Um. Sergeant Harder came out and told us to uh, push out to the chow hall. He was going to set up some some uh, a, a string of C wire to plug that hole. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, I think Greg and Davidson were with me. So me, Greg and Davidson went and pushed out and we cleared the chow hall and laid the C wire and then uh, Harder ran away to do something else. I think he was supposed to stay there with us. I don't know.
0: So you have have your vantage point when you finally pull back. Uh, what time is it? Do you know?
1: When I pull back, what to the barracks?
0: Like when you, 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 you I mean, they reconstituted your your defenses in front of you. Uh, when you finally pull back out of your position,
1: oh, I stayed out there till the sun went down. The really? P.R.F. got yeah. Wow.
0: And and no one was around you the whole time. I mean, people kept going in and out, but you were just kind of there chilling.
1: Um, Avalos kept checking on me, bringing me Gatorade, cigarettes, and ammo. You had time to smoke? Oh, I, I I smoked three packs, and I went through two cans of chew.
0: <laughs> it's amazing that you recall that much. Smoking and chew at the same time, huh? That's a, that's a tobacco. Oh, yeah. Ever.
1: I had I had those pouches. I had two in my upper lip, one in my lower lip, and I was chain-smoking the whole time. Oh, dear Lord.
0: Ugh. That's awesome and disgusting all at the same time. <laughs> well, you,
1: <laughs> you do what you got to do.
0: Yeah, no, listen. I mean, hey, uh, you know... Uh, For a short while during my first deployment, I started smoking. It just kind of gets the better of you, right? Anything to take the edge off, because booze isn't readily available. Um, So um, when you say you're fine until the sun goes down, um, when you finally come off and the sun goes down and and things are uh, starting to get under control, do you get a sense of the amount of damage, or when do you get a sense of the amount of damage that's been done to not only your base, but in general to the rest of your platoon? Oh, I
1: mean they they burned it down around our ears. We were like we were taking uh cover in the chow hall and the chow hall was on fire. We have we had to keep we kept having to move because everywhere we were using this cover was burning down.
0: Is that from mortar fire you're talking about? Just things landing in and blowing up.
1: Um I, I don't know how they started the fires. I don't know if they started them by hand. People were saying that sometimes they would take the, the cap off an RPG seven, the hollow charge, and fill that with gasoline to make an improvised incendiary device. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. But Blue Platoon Barracks uh caught on fire and all the all the ammo and stuff they had in there cooked off and just kind of spread everything around.
0: That's always a fun event. Yeah. Um do you get a chance to go by the aid station at any point?
1: I did not. Okay.
0: Did you know where the the, the list of people who was KIA at that point?
1: Um, not until not until I got back to the barracks after the sun went down. And and what, I didn't know. I didn't know if half of us were dead or I had no clue.
0: Did you have any assumptions? Did you think that the casualties were worse than what they ended up being better or did it matter? Um,
1: I don't know. I wasn't really making assumptions. No.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just, and the only reason I ask, I mean, just given that volume of fire, you have to, you, you have to wonder how anybody kind of survived. I mean, um, You know, it's one of those things where there was just so much going
1: on. Um, I was, yeah, I was more focused on my uh, task at hand.
0: Sure. When you finally do get uh, all the names, um, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings?
1: Uh, Well, we did lose our best NCOs, Kirk and Gallego, so I really looked up to those guys a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't really know Hart too well. We kind of really didn't click or have any, like, a deep conversation until, like, a week before. And, uh, you know, Mace was sad. Well, actually, with a, when we got back to the base, you know, and they finally met him back to Mace, you know, we kind of had, we kind of were hopeful he was going to make it. Because yeah. I, I was not aware of the extent of his injuries.
0: Yeah, I mean, for some, I, I want to tread gently here. Mace tended to hit everybody a little bit harder uh, for a variety of different reasons. And, and uh, there were several people who have told me the same thing you did, that, they all felt like once he got medevac, he was going to make because he had survived for so long, right? I mean, let's just yeah. kind of put this chronologically in order for people. You know, Mace gets hit in the morning, um, and and he isn't medevaced until somewhere around uh, you know ten o'clock at night, I think, right? Um, yeah. And, and so he ends up going all the way back to Fob Bostic, uh, and and that's ultimately where he was he was pronounced dead. Uh, do you get the word that night, or you have to wait till the morning to hear it?
1: Uh, we didn't hear about it until uh, the next morning.
0: And when you when you get that word, what what are you feeling?
1: Well, that's the only time I ever saw Shea a cry. Well, up until that point, you know, I was pretty uh, I was pretty just uh, like emotionally uh, dull at that point. I really didn't, you know, I really didn't feel anything.
0: Is there a point, at any point down the road, where all that emotion finally hits you?
1: Yeah, later that day, I went off and I had a little, you know, off in the corner and I had a little sob to myself.
0: Why'd you do it by yourself?
1: Oh, you don't want you don't want people seeing that shit. Why? Not in red fluting. Why? Oh, you don't want to be. You don't want to look
0: like a punk. Well, given all you guys had went through, you think anybody would have thought you were a punk at that point? I mean, you were all sort of to a certain extent lucky to be alive, no? yeah
1: I mean it's just a private you know it's just private
0: sure no I, I can respect that I can understand i just I, I I get the sense that this was a a group that was was fairly tight for the most part. most of the guys were tight yeah. with each other
1: um, and that's that's something I take issue with with the film like the whole all that interpersonal conflict really wasn't real we we got along great in Platoon for the most part.
0: You've brought her up several times, so I'll just address it. Um, your thoughts on the movie The Outpost? Obviously, you have some strong opinions. I mean, but
1: um, let's take it. It's a, it's a fantasy. Okay. Um, they got a, a lot of people who didn't do anything that day, like uh, Hill and uh, Harder and, uh, to an extent, Ty Carter, who had the, the producer credit. They pretty much sucked out uh, to Jake Tapper and got there. they pretty much took credit for a bunch of stuff. There was maybe two or three guys from blue platoon who actually fought for an appreciable amount of time. It was a red platoon show that day.
0: Does it bother you the way the movie was portrayed?
1: I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's shitty. And that's why I, uh, I do all these, you know, get on these interviews and stuff. Cause I don't want us to be remembered by that stupid movie.
0: No. And, and look, there is, there is a certain amount of, uh, liberties that Hollywood has to take, right. In any war movie. Um, yeah, for a variety of reasons, time, uh, you know, just sort of brevity, uh, you know, explaining context and things of that nature that can't be done in, you know, two hours or two and a half hours. So they have to take some sort of liberties with that. Um, I'll say this much. OK, and, and I'm curious your thoughts. When I first watched it, uh, at least for me, there are war movies that I watch where I know the combat scenes are BS, like they're, they're completely not realistic. Um, there are other ones that I watch where I can feel my heart start to, you know, pump a little bit faster because that realism comes to life. Um, yeah. Did you get a sense that the the combat scenes themselves were were well replicated?
1: Eh, not really. The effects were kind of bad. Um, the CGI explosions were corny. Um, I, I just on multiple levels, I wasn't impressed with it.
0: Okay what do you wish about the story was told that you thought was left out or sort of morphed into something different other than what you just mentioned about red platoon?
1: Um, they spent the first hour of the film talking about like Ben Keating and yeah. Captain Yeskis. That yeah. was three years before we got there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like you don't, you don't, Ben Keating doesn't deploy to cop Keating and then die and then have the base get named after him. No, yeah. That doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> I mean, it's it's shit like that. It's like this is it was really dumb. That that's like it. they wasted all that time talking about these guys when they could have like built characters. Because people bitched that the movie had too many characters. They could have spent the first hour going into depth with all the guys. But it's just it's just a Ty Carter fantasy circle jerk. Everybody hated that guy because he was a douchebag. And it's like he's the hero of the movie. No, he fucking didn't do anything. He sat in that truck all day and he pulled Mace back and he gets the goddamn Medal of Honor. That's the wrong person to give that fucking medal to.
0: Who was the right person?
1: Roman Shea. He deserved it. He controlled the battle space, you know, as an E6 took over the entire operation. You know what I mean? He took charge of the entire cop as an E6 and saved everybody's bacon. That's why he deserves to get it. And I'm not, this isn't just a tribal thing either.
0: No. And I'm not saying it is. I, I, I certainly understand where you're coming from with it. Um, I, I, I am curious when when you look at the other people who played bigger roles um, that you that maybe they could have developed. Like, give me a name or two of somebody you thought played a more pivotal role in the day that that got uh,
1: overlooked. Jones Jones, who you're going to talk to later. He he mm-hmm. swacked like forty people as a you know as a new private infantry guy. He put you know he got wounded multiple times, shot in the head, and bounced off his helmet and stuff. And uh, they had to fight, like RNCOs had to fight, like you know, multiple rejections of his bronze star, and that's bullshit. People literally said no PFC deserves a bronze star.
0: Well, that's just you know
1: true. he did he did a he did a good chunk of the killing that day.
0: Do you feel? Uh, I'll ask just bluntly. Do you feel underappreciated about what you did that day?
1: Oh, I don't. I'm not. Seeking any sort of recognition. No, about.
0: I'm not. I'm not saying you are. I, I, I don't. Don't mean for it to come off that way. I, I guess what I'm saying is, is, um,
1: I didn't do anything special. You know what I mean? Well,
0: doing your job and keeping other people alive is special. It doesn't always make it noteworthy per se, but um, you you played a role um, that was pivotally important in keeping other people alive. So I don't want to underscore. I don't, I don't want you to underscore that for the audience because I think, objectively, um, as somebody who wasn't there, when you do all the reading and everything else, and you you, you kind of almost um, take an academic look at it, uh, everybody who is alive kept somebody else alive in some size, way, shape, or form. I think that's fair right. to
1: say. No. Yeah, okay. but that was that was the bare, you know that was bare minimum for that day. Right, as far as I'm concerned.
0: How do you think the rest of the guys um, in the platoon, and I don't want you to, I'm not asking you to speak for them, but do you feel like there's a general consensus, your thoughts or are, are sort of the way a lot of guys feel?
1: Yeah, pretty much, uh, pretty much in Red Platoon, yeah.
0: Why do you think the story gets told the way it does?
1: Because um, none of us really talked to Jake Tapper. And uh, a lot of guys from Blue Platoon um, saw that as their opportunity to uh, take a lot of credit for uh, stuff they didn't necessarily do.
0: Was there a rival between the platoons? Any rivalry at all? Oh,
1: yeah. Blue Platoon sucks. (laughs) Blue Platoon sucks. There was a couple good guys in there. A handful, like Delaney Mm -hmm. is one of them, you know. But for the most part, they were turrets, especially that day. Because when we were out fighting, guys from Blue Platoon came in and uh, jacked our DVD players and cigarettes while we were out there holding it down.
0: What? Really?
1: Yeah. Interesting.
0: Um, Yep. Try to Monday morning quarterback this thing. What do you think could have or should have been done differently?
1: Um, Well, we should, you know, our NCOs went to – captain milvin porter and recommended that we build up the bases defenses and since uh he he knew that we were going to be back you know shutting down the base anyway he just said nah don't do it so really if you really want somebody to blame the blood's on his hands it's a
0: strong way to phrase that
1: yeah he could have he could have saved a lot of lives just uh not nixing our orders. We called him no mortar porter for a reason. He wouldn't let us fire, you know, fire missions and do a lot of stuff. I mean, Romache wiggled around a lot of his BS orders as much as we could, but there was only so much we could do.
0: Outside of that, was there any other leadership failures in your opinion?
1: Um, uh, I've seen some senior NCOs who should have known better you now. Not do what they were supposed to do. Hill, for one. Um, just, I, I mean, I can't, I can't praise the Red Platoon NCOs enough. We had, we had the best guys, and that was a fact. And you could see from our casualty, you know, who took the most casualties, who was actually doing the most of the fighting. Yeah.
0: Um you're you're several years uh removed from the battle and let me just for the audience sake after this this uh deployment you're kind of done right i mean you go back and you finish out your, your time and you end up getting out of the military um yep. how much of this i mean i can hear the the passion and energy in your voice how much of this still stays with you on a daily basis
1: oh uh red platoon we have a uh we have a platoon group text message. I talk about this stuff every day.
0: In, in what sort of through, like, manner? Like when you say I talk oh, about this stuff. Oh, you know, we just
1: bullshit and, okay. we bullshit and reminisce and keep each other's memories alive, you know, because a lot of that stuff you forget. And uh, somebody will be telling a story, and you would be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I was there. It's crazy how much – there there was so much action packed into that one deployment that, you know, I could I could talk about it for, you know, five, six hours and not even scratch the surface.
0: Is, is is it fair to say? I mean, I mean, uh, it sounds foolish when I run the sentence in my head, so I know it's going to come out even dumber when I say it out loud. But when you say there was so much, so many things that happened on the deployment, um, does do the rest of those things get swallowed up by the Battle of Kamdesh that that one day, October third?
1: I mean, not really. That wasn't the first or the last time we got in some uh, serious trouble out there.
0: Well, the, I mean the base was blown up, what, two days later, three days later? You guys were out of there, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah we went to Bostic and did uh, route clearance. And the MRAPs.
0: When when the base was ultimately destroyed afterwards, did you have any feelings towards it? Was it good riddance for you or was it was was there any sort of sadness or what?
1: Um I it took a few weeks before I really started, you know, getting bummed out that we weren't at Keating because you had a little bit more freedom out there to hang out and do stuff. There was uh Bostick was pretty lame. The chow hall was nice, which was good. <laughs> and they had, you know, decent shower facilities. I think I only, I was taking a shower like once a month at Keating because I really, I wasn't, I wasn't about to get shot and butt naked in the shower. <laughs> so I I let, I let myself get pretty ripe before I would uh, venture out there.
0: <laughs> you didn't get any gut from any of the guys on the platoon about stinking
1: it up? I mean, we all smell bad, so they can just bite me.
0: <laughs> um. You know, when, when you start to when you hear the names now and you rattle them off, you know, Thompson, Scusa, uh, Martin, Gallegos, you know, Kirk, uh, obviously, uh, Mace, uh, what sort of feelings and everything comes up in your head?
1: Um, I miss Kirk a lot and Gallegos. They really, uh, when I talk about like, you know, not giving a shit and not being scared there, those are the guys who built up my confidence and, uh, made me into a better soldier like kirk would always uh, encourage like extreme aggression and he would do a bunch of crazy stuff when firefights, like jump from roof to roof and on top of buildings and stuff and just act like a crazy man launching grenades and so you wanted to be like him like, he was in my opinion like sergeant kirk was like the ultimate soldier he was a badass and seeing him get you see him get whacked right there at the beginning really took me out for a minute it took me a you know, a good 10, 15 minutes to recover from that. Cause, uh, you know, when you, when the guy you look up to the most, the guy, you, you know, you always wanted to be next to in the firefight gets, gets took out right there at the beginning. It's just really, it really set the uh, tone for the rest of the day.
0: Outside of him as a, as an NCO, what do you miss about him as a person?
1: Oh, he's just a badass. He's just a cool dude. He, uh, I don't know. It was just, uh, it's, a lot of times in the you know in the army, especially in 361, like NCOs just treated you like shit for the most part, like you were a dumbass. But he never, unless you did something really stupid, he wouldn't just get in your ass. He because he's fair and reasonable. And Gallegos too. Um, like he didn't. And this, not everybody had the same experience with these two guys. But from where where I was, like if I got in trouble, if 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 I could give them a good enough explanation to satisfy them, they wouldn't just fuck with me for no reason. Right.
0: What was as I mentioned before? You you get out of the military after four and a half years. If things had gone different at Cobb Keating, do you think you would have stayed? Or
1: I really can't answer that. I have no idea. That's really that's a tough question.
0: All right, let me rephrase the question. Cobb Keating was the sole reason. What like the events of that would happen there was the reason you got out. You said I've had enough, and that was it.
1: Well, I mean. Uh, we got, we came back from that and went right back into just being treated like dumbass kids. You know what I mean? And I wasn't about, I couldn't, I couldn't take that anymore. Because I couldn't take some, you know, E7 or Sergeant Major who has a fraction of the combat experience I do, you know, criticizing my uniform. I hadn't really had enough of that shit. Yeah.
0: Did you know what you wanted to do when you got out?
1: Uh, yeah, just go play video games. <laughs> How's that working out for that's you? That's all. I, that's all I ever wanted to do from the beginning. <laughs> How's that working out for you? Great. <laughs> I retired at the age of twenty six, and I've been playing video games. <laughs> hey,
0: listen, it's it's popular. I can't hate on it. Um, physically, uh, you know, are you okay from the deployment? I mean, any sustained injuries or anything that's still lingering?
1: Uh, I broke or severely sprained both my ankles later on in the deployment. Those still bother me, and my back is a little jacked up, but. I didn't get wounded. I don't have a purple heart or anything.
0: When you think back about the leadership on that deployment, pick a couple of words just to characterize them, a couple of adjectives.
1: Uh, the officers or the NCOs?
0: Let's start with the officers.
1: Um, the LT was okay, I guess. He, really, uh, he was younger than me, and he has like a bachelor's degree in like business or something. So, you know, when shit kicked off, I don't, I don't, you don't look to him. You look to the NCOs. He was just kind of there. Didn't really have a strong opinion either way. And uh, Melvin Porter uh, can't say anything good about him at all.
0: Do you know where he um, is now? Is he still in?
1: I don't know. Last I heard he was promoted to major and was doing, uh, doing admin stuff. This was like a year later and he's kind of dropped off the face of the earth. Does you know he, uh, we called him Bunker Six because inside his, in, he lived inside the talk. I've seen him come out of the, the talk maybe three times the whole time we were there. And he had a little, he had his own little mini fortress inside. He had sandbags around his cot and he would pull a Kevlar blanket over the top of him when he slept.
0: Yeah, well, that sucks.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, the, the previous two captains both got assassinated, so, or, you know, Yeskis did. Yeah. I guess it got to him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I I've always sort of taken the approach, and again, I I don't know Porter at all. Uh, I've never met him, obviously. Um, but I I've always enjoyed more being with the people I lead than creating yeah. my own little comfort space. Um,
1: yeah, you would think you would think that, but I think he knew that he was getting replaced soon, and just was desperate not to die. That was like his whole. That was like his whole motivation for like it colored every decision he made. It's like, how is this going to affect my chances of survival? That's why he wouldn't let us like mortar stuff. He was afraid of like reprisals and things like that. So he pretty much castrated us to, uh, so that he could get out of there alive.
0: No, but none of, I mean, none of the NCOs complained. They didn't take it up higher or, Oh yeah.
1: They complained to him all the time.
0: No, not to him. I mean, mean, above him.
1: Oh yeah. We pitched it. Um, well, I don't know. That's something you got to ask them, I guess.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm just, you know, that kind of whole thing. When you just see something out of place, you got to point it out routinely. Right. I mean, at least I would think.
1: Yeah. yeah I mean, we would talk shit about him behind his back all the time. I know that.
0: Yeah. I always worry about
1: that as an officer. <laughs> um, oh, even if you're the best officer in the world, it's not going to, it's, it's, gonna it's exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the territory. You're never going to escape it. Um, I just try to think about the things that people was, you know, I'd say about other people and wonder if it's being said about me. So, uh, I guess that's fair. Uh, the NCOs, um, I, I know you, you've spoken glowingly of them, um, but uh, did did they do anything you thought was questionable at any point in time? And I don't mean from a leadership standpoint, like just, you know, decisions as far as things in battle or whatever else, when they were in contact or whatever, anything like that?
1: No, 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 you could Kirk, Gaigos, goes, Stanley, if, if they, uh, if they said something, you could do what they said with hundred percent confidence. I had I have complete, complete faith in those guys.
0: You know, there have been several documentaries made on this thing. Um, And, uh, well, let me ask you first. I don't think you've been in any of them, have you? Nope. Any reason why, you think?
1: (laughs) I was never asked. Oh, okay.
0: Why do you think you were never asked?
1: Well, I'm just a little guy.
0: Well, there are a lot of little guys who spoke. I mean, they... There were, there were other lower enlisted who, who had words in these things, right?
1: Which uh, which documentary are you talking about?
0: Well, I, I think there are a couple of them. I mean, I, you know, I've seen the, um, I think 2020 or CBS News did one on it. Um, you know, these short little minute clips and obviously the movie. But then there has been, a, um, there was that Medal of Honor thing on Netflix. I don't know if you've ever seen that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, what, was Jones in that one? I think he was in that I, one. I think so, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Roman State likes Jones. That's how he, <laughs> that's how he ended up there. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. But well, I'm very, I'm very like, I'm barely in the book and you know, I really didn't talk to Dick Tapper much. So I really never, up until recently I haven't, uh, been involved in any of the media stuff.
0: Yeah. And I'm not assuming that you were looking for any sort of glory or pat on the back or anything. I just, he, you have a very unabashed point of view and I'm sure it would have provided more context to a lot of these things that went on. And I'm, it, it almost seems like, and we tend to do this when we put, we as in America, you know, put these stories together because it goes a lot better when everybody is, you know, all for the one guy and we're all on the same team and everybody feels good. You know, we, we, we don't like to hear the dissension in the room. So I'm just curious,
1: um, um, that's, that might be a reason. Uh, I think Jake Tapper caught on to the fact that we didn't like the way his story, his little narrative was going. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, to protect that, I don't think he, uh,
0: well, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to sell the emotion behind it when there are people who disagree with it. Right. I mean, um, and, yeah. and I, I don't think what bothers me, I guess, from, from what you're telling me and. Uh, again, we, we'll continue to speak to people about this um, from Red Platoon on the Hazard Ground. But, you know, that the, the idea that you're not the lone wolf in this, right? Like, you're not the only one who feels this way. And so it almost seems deliberate to a certain extent to leave certain voices out. I guess that's kind of what I was going for.
1: Yeah, that's definitely definitely what's going on.
0: Forget the movie for a second. I, I think historically, do we say the right things about the, the, the Battle of Kamdesh?
1: I mean, yeah, for the most part, a lot of the uh, the, in, the military uh, inside the military, like the doctrinal changes that came out of it, and their reviews and the uh, you know their assessments of what actually happened is, is fairly accurate. There were uh, leaders, leadership failures, a cascade of leadership failures led up to it, starting at the asshole who set the base up in the first place, <laughs> on down to uh, not letting us build it up.
0: Well, I I wonder, I mean, you know, it's funny that now, you know, as we got deeper into the conversation, cascade of leadership failures, including the base being set up, when I asked you earlier about the base being there, you're like, no, well, that's where it was. It was just just there. You know, you didn't think anything about it. Because again, I mean, I look at it when I, I, I can't think of anybody who I have ever spoken to who's been in combat, any legitimate combat, who looks at that base and goes, this is a great idea. Like, it was doomed to fail from the start.
1: Yeah, well, they I guess the idea was they could use it to control the road, but after Homeboy rolled his truck off, the thing they just closed the road. Yeah. And then it was just it was an operation of let's continue existing. You know, well, and we don't it looks say, it looks bad to give up ground.
0: Yes, but the other thing they said too is a way to control the you know, work with the local population, right? Like that was yeah. the other goal which
1: uh, str- we'll just give them give them bribes so they won't shoot at us. <laughs> Pretty much what that was
0: strategically w- was was a failure regardless. Right. I mean, it, yeah, you, you could argue holistically in Afghanistan, you know, working with the tribes was was a failure. Um, it wasn't going to get you anywhere. So, uh, you know, again, different discussion for a different day. But, um, yeah, I just I, I kind of wonder. Um, any, any sort of regret? Uh, at all about the way anything went down like when you look back uh, during on the home, battle well i, I mean, wish
1: i could um there's some things i could have done like if i had uh i might have been able to prevent kirk getting taken out had i know you know what was really going on but you know i've had to forgive myself for a lot of that shit and uh i just my biggest regret was not uh like doing something cool like going out and on Romache's push out or whacking more people. The area I was in was pretty quiet compared to a lot of like what Jones and them guys were doing. So I'd have liked to have gotten a little more involved in the action, but you know. Did Romache
0: not ask you to go out or he just told you to stay there? Or? I was
1: I was already outside the building with the machine gun. Okay. So when no... he was that whole scene where he's asking for volunteers and stuff, I didn't know I didn't know they were pushing out. Like one guy comes out, he's like, Hey, we got an element pushing out, don't shoot at him. I'm like, Okay. That's all I knew about it. At that point, until they actually did their movement.
0: I mean, it's silly to ask, but you would have volunteered, I assume.
1: I'd like to think I would.
0: Yeah. And I think it's a perfect way to phrase it, right? Because who knows in the moment, which which would you say, um, you know. uh, So when I also talk about regret, any regret about your decision to, you know, put your life on hold to go in the military, uh, any regret about leaving, anything like that.
1: No. Nope. I wouldn't trade it for nothing.
0: What's the What's the one thing from that day uh, that you're most proud of?
1: Um. Like I didn't hide under my bed like some people. I stayed out there the whole day. Like I got. I don't have to. Uh, you know feel ashamed because i didn't do anything because i was too scared and i mean I've, I've seen people who acted like the biggest badasses on the planet in garrison completely just shit the bed and do nothing yep the whole day
0: yeah it, it, it's funny and
1: i was a freaking brand new private of the army like i didn't you know i wasn't i didn't go looking for this fight but i'm, I'm sure as hell not gonna go let my buddies go out there fight and bleed well, I do nothing. How how could I show my face to them again? You know what I mean.
0: I've seen the same thing. I've seen the the biggest yellers and screamers, and uh, you know, the minute the first bullet flies, they, they become completely different people. Um, you you, you never know, you never know who it is, right? Like you never know who it is until it actually happens.
1: No, oh, yeah you uh, you got a good you got a good look at who your friends were and who. You know, the real character of a lot of people in that situation, for sure.
0: I know you said you have a group text with those guys. Anybody you're still really, really close with?
1: Yeah, the whole platoon. Well, Jones is my best friend. I actually live right up the road from him.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, when when you live up the road from somebody and you talk to him, how often does October 3rd, 2009 come up in conversation with you guys?
1: Every day. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah that's pretty a, much every day
0: like how just an example of how it starts
1: oh well just like oh you remember that time it's it's more the whole deployment but yeah that's one of it we just we just tell each other the same freaking stories over and over again that's how i can just rattle all the stuff off it's because uh yeah we've gone over it and over it and over it, that nauseum.
0: how do you want people to remember kyle knight as far as this deployment this battle is concerned
1: I mean, all I all I really, really care about is I hope uh, Kirk's proud of me, pretty much.
0: Well, I'm sure he is. Um, you, you you have given an account of the battle that uh, I have not heard before, per, per, a point of view that I have not heard before. But um, I I I appreciate you being honest about it. I appreciate your your feelings, and and certainly respect them, and. Um, I wish that that more of of people of your ilk would tell their story, right? Because I think it's important. It provides a lot of context. Because, they, I, I don't care what story we tell, you know, n- none of it ever is perfect, right? There, there never is anything that that is such a storybook finish that everybody wins in. That's just not the way it goes. That's not realistic. A, it's not a, life.
1: A lot of those guys, I, I see them, I see them crop up on the internet, and they, they, they tend to sugarcoat things a lot. I don't uh I don't really appreciate that. I, I try to be I try to pride myself on my honesty. And uh yeah, I don't I don't see any reason to uh make it look any worse or better than it was.
0: No, because and, you know, it's ugly. <laughs> Sugarcoating battle I think is an exercise in futility. It it's war. It's ugly. There there's nothing about it that, that comes out pretty. Even even when there's a good story to tell, there's still another side to it, always. Yeah. Well, Kyle, listen, uh I, I certainly appreciate you uh spending some time with us and, and telling your side of the story. Um there there there's a lot there. Uh and and you know, I'm glad that you were able to speak so freely about it. Um I think the audience appreciates it and I certainly know I do. Um you know, I, I again I, I I understand how difficult all this stuff can be. Um and, and I hope you're in a space with it where you're comfortable, right? Like I hope you're in a space with it where there are certain parts of it that don't eat at you every day the way it has for others.
1: No, over the, over the last ten years, I've I've uh, been able to get over a lot of that. I'm pretty comfortable with it now. Uh, talking about it, and if uh, if you don't mind indulging me, I have a YouTube channel where I talk to a lot of the guys who aren't like mentioned in the book, and I talk to my uh, fist platoon sergeant who's in the talk. If you want if you want to look for uh, other perspectives, you're not going to hear anywhere else. Uh, check out Midnight Chow on YouTube. It's a pair uh, icons, a ham sandwich.
0: Absolutely. No, but by all means, uh, plug it and, and we'll certainly help uh, promote it because I think that those sort of dialogues are, are ultimately important. Um, and for as long as I've been doing this, this podcast and, you know, you and I were talking before we started recording, you know, I always get as a, as a senior officer, I always get more refreshed by the lower enlisted point of view when we do these stories, um, it's easy for me to talk to my peers and speak the same language, right? When you talk to senior NCOs and, 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 other officers, but, um, the sort of unabashed, you know, free from, from filter opinion that you offer is always refreshing to me. So I, I, again, I appreciate it.
1: Hey, no problem. I, uh, yeah, I don't have any reputation or future job prospects on the line. So I can speak freely.
0: <laughs> what are you doing with yourself these days?
1: I don't uh, play we'll video games. I I just had a kid, so I'm just doing the dad thing, work on my cars, and just uh, hang out. Okay. I got a nice uh, house up on the mountains on the holler, and uh, yeah, just keep to myself.
0: Well, congratulations on the on the birth of your child, and uh,
1: appreciate it.
0: Best of luck. That you, you'll find that's probably more difficult than combat certain days. As a father of twins, oh, yeah. I can tell you it. it uh...
1: Ooh, ooh, that yeah.
0: I can imagine it, it tests your patience sometimes more than combat does to say the least. But again, uh, thank you so much for sharing your story, Kyle. Knight. thanks for being part of the hazard ground.
1: Hey, happy to be here. You've been listening to the hazard ground podcast hosted by Mark Zinno.
0: If you have an interesting story to tell, and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at producer at And if you like the show, Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.